Hello again, and welcome to Blight Christmas, a horror holiday together. I'm Sean, your host. One of the things I've most enjoyed about this project is the sheer variety of styles and formats the participating companies have worked in. And no other piece exemplifies that quite so well as today's. Today, we bring you a special edition of Reverend Matt's Monster Science created specifically for this project. So join us now as Matthew Kesson waxes knowledgeable on a monster that falls smack dab at the sweet spot of horror, holiday, and pop culture. Reverend Matt's Monster Science presents Christmas with the Gremlins, written and performed by Matt Kesson. Hi, I'm Reverend Matt, and today on Reverend Matt's Monster Science, we are going to discuss why Gremlins is a Christmas movie. Now, generally speaking, the parameters of Christmas movies are set in one of two different ways. In the narrower definition, a Christmas movie is either an animated feature based on a song written just after World War II, but generally considered to be a hallowed old Christmas tradition from hundreds of years ago, or it is about Anna Kendrick as a woman with a career who returns to her small hometown and learns that love is more important from a man who is handsome in a manner that is so totally non-threatening that he may as well be a baby made out of packing foam. The other definition would have it that anything is a Christmas movie. A Clockwork Orange is a Christmas movie. Clipping My Nails is a Christmas movie. The Merovingian Heresy is a Christmas movie. Gremlins, however, lies somewhere in between. It starts with a man looking for a Christmas present for his son and settling on a mysterious creature which can't be illuminated, moistened, or fed after midnight, all of which is plainly not how animals work and rather seems like an occult system of some kind, but nobody really seems to notice this, because if people behaved sensibly we wouldn't have horror movies or most of what has happened in America in the last few years. We then cut to a picture postcard of a town. Indeed, the filmmakers made it deliberately somewhat unrealistic so that the monsters would themselves seem less unreal set against it. And we hear Phil Spector singing a song with a chorus that goes, Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Also, there's Corey Feldman dressed as a Christmas tree, which he would proceed to be dressed as in every movie he ever made after that. The Christmas music continues throughout the film, with the family father singing Deck the Halls as he arrives home, and later, after the gremlins have been spawned but are still mysterious and out of sight, one of them starts up the family record player, which plays Do You Hear What I Hear. Uh, a record player was a music machine which played LPs, which were like CDs, and CDs were these discs. Look, never mind. Later still, when the gremlins are rampaging through the town, several of them pose as carolers. And of course, caroling is one of the most instantly recognizable symbols of Christmas, this in spite of the fact that nobody has actually done it for over 200 years. The gremlins don't carol a recognizable song, though, instead making a series of screeching sounds, which to many people would be more or less what all Christmas music sounds like anyway. Also during this rampage, a group of gremlins violently assault a man dressed as Santa Claus, which could be seen as an encapsulation of this movie, though J director Joe Dante has stated that another scene is the symbolic heart of it, this being when lovely Phoebe Cates tells a story of how she hates Christmas because as a child, her father dressed up as Santa Claus, came down the chimney, got stuck, and died. Dante felt that this story's combination of humor and horror was really what the movie was all about. 
The studio hated this scene and tried at some length to get him to take it out, but he adamantly refused and was backed in this by his executive producer, Steven Spielberg, who himself didn't like the scene but figured it wasn't his call to make. This Steven Spielberg, he sounds like he was all right. I should check into seeing if he was involved in any other movies. Of course, my closing argument regarding Gremlins being a Christmas movie is simply this. It is named in the Wikipedia article, List of Christmas Movies. And what more authority could anyone want than something that any lunatic can edit at any time? Furthermore, Die Hard is not on this list. Checkmate, atheists. Of course, this case still needs to be made here, as there are those who do not feel that Gremlins is a Christmas movie simply because it is not a feel-good family sort of thing, but rather a horror comedy. And it is perhaps not strange that horror and comedy should be combined. Both are about the unexpected, about tearing down the walls of comfortable normalcy and our various possible reactions to this. Gremlins was originally going to be a bit heavier on the horror side. The Gremlins were going to kill the protagonist's mother and roll her head down some stairs. And Gizmo, the adorable creature who is accidentally made to spawn the horrors, turns into their leader, Stripe. It was Steven Spielberg who suggested that he stay good, which is a good call, demonstrating once again that it is possible that Steven Spielberg is pretty good at making movies. He also responded to a memo from the studio saying that there were too many gremlins in the movie by suggesting that they just take them all out and call the movie People. And from now on, all Steven Spielberg movies that don't have any monsters in them are called People in My Headcanon. And Christmas is, of course, an excellent backdrop for a movie about chaos, about entropy. What is more normal, more comfortable, more good than Christmas? And how better to demonstrate monstrousness and disorder than by ruining it? Historically, before this 1984 film, gremlins are, of course, spirits of entropy, of the breakdown of machines, specifically. Unusually for a folkloric phenomenon-explaining monster, gremlins are entirely 20th century, invented by the English Royal Air Force in between the World Wars. Tiny, basically invisible creatures that like to sabotage airplane equipment for such extremely good reasons as none whatsoever. They were popularized in World War II and indeed served a sort of morale purpose. It was better to think that your airplane problems were the result of supernatural sabotage than of shoddy workmanship back home or the failures of those around you. It is also supposed that gremlins were imagined in the stress of combat or as hallucinations in the pressures and oxygen levels at great heights. Me, I imagine horrible little monsters when I'm sitting on ground level, going through the stress of having a grilled cheese sandwich, but some people just need a little boost. Gremlins were further popularized by two bits of pop entertainment from 1943. One, Falling Hair, was a Bugs Bunny cartoon in which the titular Lagomorph titular Lagomorph being, of course, the name of my signature fragrance, goes up against a small elfin gremlin with plain wings for ears. And Roald Dahl, famed writer of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, published a book called The Gremlins This Year Also. It had been intended that Disney make a movie of this book, but this fell through, leaving Disney, of course, forever in ruins. Still, the book was popular and did much to further cement the gremlins in the popular imagination. Of a special note was Dahl's origin story for the creatures, which was that they had been displaced when the forest they had lived in previously was cut down for an airstrip. 
it's a good origin. Certainly these small, supernatural, chaos-embodying people from England are a modern manifestation of old fairy lore. Indeed, in the Christmas movie we have been discussing, the gremlins take on an instant affinity to the cinematic Seven Dwarves. Which brings us back to the movie. It's really quite good, weird and funny and scary, and made with a certain heart and grace. It's a delightful script, wonderfully directed, and very winningly acted. I would like to call out two actors in particular. Phoebe Cates, as The Girl, was objected to by the studio because she was then known for raunchy material, such as Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But her performance in Gremlins is so staggeringly wholesome that she makes Opie from The Andy Griffith Show look like Gigi Allen. Which then makes it the more delightful when you learn in the actor's commentary of the Blu-ray that her favorite parts of the movie were the scenes of horrific violence. And the other actor I would like to call out is Mushroom, who played Barney the dog. Now, Mushroom was himself a dog, he wasn't that good of an actor, but the thing to watch for in his performance is that apparently he thought that all of the gizmo and gremlin puppets were real creatures and reacted as such, which is of course wonderful. Gremlins may not be Citizen Kane, and of course many people feel that this Orson Welles classic would not have been improved by the sudden rampage of small scaly monsters, and I do not understand this at all. But Gremlins did cast a surprisingly long shadow. For one thing, it was dark enough that it, along with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, itself a sequel to Spielberg's movie People, inspired the creation of the PG-13 rating, which is the single and only reason that anyone who has turned 13 within the last 35 years hasn't been scarred for life by an otherwise unlabeled movie and become a serial killer murdering dozens. That's it. That's all. Then there were the knockoffs. Critters was about little toothy creatures from outer space, and its director has stated that it is not a knockoff of Gremlins, having been written before that movie came out. He drew a line in the sand. No, no, this comedy horror about a horde of small toothy creatures menacing a small town is the sweat of my brow, my creativity, the needs of my soul for self-expression. You will not take that from me. Then there's munchies, ghoulies, hobgoblins, and so on, all of which were not very good. I do hope you were sitting down. And then, of course, there was Gremlins 2, the new batch, prefer preferred over the original by Joe Dante, who directed both, but widely regarded as confusing and insane by very many people. Well, this is because this is a movie that is confusing and insane. The first movie was about anarchy being introduced to wholesomeness. This movie was just anarchy, top to bottom. A huge array of different gremlin designs, fourth wall breaking, Sir, Sir Christopher Lee standing in a hallway saying, things, stuff, for no reason. If you were on the gremlin side in the first movie, then this is the movie for you. But what it is not is a Christmas movie. That's Gremlins. Because if chaos and violence and destruction aren't the true meaning of Christmas, then I don't know what the true meaning of Christmas is. It is, uh, it is possible that I don't know what the true meaning of Christmas is. You have been listening to Blight Christmas, a horror holiday together. Stop back again tomorrow when we'll have Lynch Wolf, a haunted dreamlike piece from Sam Landman of Landman Land. 
If you're enjoying what you hear and want to support it, we invite you to donate at the link in the show notes. All donated funds will be shared among the participating companies to support their continued work. Intro and outro music is by Mew and used under blanket permission. A link to their work can also be found in the show notes. Blight Christmas is produced by Oncoming Productions with generous assistance from Hot Chocolate Media.